You're listening to audio from the Realm Church, a church community based in Oakland, California. For more information about the Realm Church, visit therealmchurch.com. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Westbrook. <laughs> Somebody gave me the Hebrew version of it. I do appreciate that. All right, we're getting closer to Christmas. Glad to see you all here, and we are in our Advent series, so before I go on too long, let's go and pray, and uh, we'll jump right into this short text, but it's a very meaty text, all right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning that you give us. Your word proclaims that we wake up to a brand new mercy, a brand new grace, a grace and a mercy just for today, and we need it today, Lord, a fresh, a new Lord. And Lord, uh, we're so thankful, God, even uh, for the story that we're, we're in the bay right now, and we're sitting in the, in the middle of Oakland right now. Lord, they are departing from something that shaped their narrative for such a long time now. Uh, today is the last day that the Oakland Raiders play in Oakland as they transition to another city. Lord, we don't know what that means for Oaklanders as they long for... Um, things, Lord, to fill in the gap of something that was such an identity-shaping entity. Lord, our prayer today, God, is that your glory will fill this city and will fill the bay where your glory fills the gaps of those longings, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray a special prayer for Oakland as they depart and as they lament with something that shaped their culture. Lord, be with us today as we speak, Lord, as we listen. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would shape our hearts by your word. Lord, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you all be mindful of them as they are going to be playing at 120 today. Um, I'm not much of a football fan, uh, but I feel for the, uh, for the, the Raiders in, in Oakland, so uh, maybe we can watch it at 120 today. Uh, we might be done. Somebody said no. Uh, it's a staple, guys. Come on. Somebody was trying to sell me a ticket for uh, a lot of money. I told Desiree, ask Desiree if I can do it. She said no. <laughs> So, so, there, so there you, she said, you can, watch, you can watch from TV player. That's what she said. All right. Well, last week we talked about Christmas hope. We're, we're going through these three words that I believe help to epitomize the purpose of Christmas. We're talking about Christmas hope, longing, and celebration. Those are three things that I think are essential for celebrating the true meaning of, uh, of Christmas. Christmas hope, we talked about last week, is that we have this hope that, that's in the world, and hope is defined by not by what's seen. Paul tells us that if you can see it, then it's not hope, right? So if it's something that you don't see, but you believe that it's within reach because God has placed it in reach, then you have hope. That's the definition of hope. It's accessible, that thing that you may be hoping to God for, those, those deep besetting issues in your life. And we, we learned that Christmas is about God giving us hope to deal with our biggest problem in life. It says that this child will come, you shall call him Emmanuel, his name shall be Jesus, and he will take away the sins of Israel. He would deal with the biggest problem that we have. Today we're going to talk about longing, because if hope is or those deepest desires that God placed inside of us within reach, what longing is then is this deep desire stretched over time. Right? It's, it's this desires that we have, it's, it's these longings that we have that God that's just simply stretch over time and we haven't quite attained it quite yet and we have these deep longings and we'll see exactly what I'm getting at. But longings, I believe, are the periods in, of our lives where we're asking God to bring something to past, 
to deal with something that we're, that we're longing to God for. Lord, would you resolve something within us? Something that, I, that, that, that we're pressing for, that we've been praying to God for, that we've been beating our fist in the floor for as we're praying to God. Those are the longings in our life, those silent moments where we have deep heartaches. Those are the longings in our life. I like this quote. It says that, this, this, this author says that we are always longing because we are overbuilt for this world. We're overbuilt for this world, which means that there is nothing quite in this world that can actually satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. God made us that for that very purpose that the stuff of the world and stuff of material cannot, by design, meet the longings that we have. We're overbuilt for this world, which that is, it tells us over and over again, it reaffirms to us that God has designed us for something beyond this world, and God has designed us in such a way that only he can actually fill those longings in our heart. He goes on to say that we are longing for the beautiful, the true, and the good of the immortal, and you may not know that. And the world around us may not know that, but what we're really longing for is not the tangible. It's not the things that can satisfy us for just momentary. It's actually the things that are, this are immortal. And they will satisfy us for an everlasting life, praise the Lord. It tells us about our ontology, our makeup, our being, how God made us, that we're not made just from dirt and dust alone, but God breathed his very spirit within us, and we live on forever. What I want to deal with today is, one, what do I mean by Christmas longing as we read this story, and how do we deal with the longings in our life? Because the fact of the matter is, Christmas is not a time for everyone of joy and happiness. As a matter of fact, Christmas may actually remind us of, of hard periods in our life. It may remind us of the people that we're separated from. Maybe you're separated from your loved ones during this time for the first time. Or maybe a loved one has gone on to glory. Christmas is not a time of happiness for everyone. And it creates this longing within us. Christmas longing deals with that, and I think we get at the purpose, once again, of Christmas, of what is communicating with us. Let's go to our first point here, longing and the gap between. Longing and the gap between, we see that in verse 22. It says that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. So that's a short text today, Pastor. Yeah, it's a short text, but there's a lot there. When he talks about all this took place, that it may be fulfilled... From the mouth of from what the prophet said, they're speaking to the prophetic nature of things. This was prophesied long ago, specifically long ago. We'll go over some of the, uh, the numbers here in a second, but it was prophesied long ago that you shall receive a child. A child will be born of a virgin, and you should call him Emmanuel, and you, his name will be Yeshua. Now say this with me, Yeshua. 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 That is the name of Jesus. The transliteration of Jesus comes from the Greek, which we get Jesus from. But his name is Yeshua, and now you're actually saying it the way that they would have heard it. But they promise, this promise is given over and over again throughout Scripture. But how many of us know that not all of God's promises come with a Google date? They don't come with a timestamp of like, this is when it's going to happen. And, and they're standing in the gap of God making this promise, and it hasn't happened just yet. That is the nature of all biblical prophecy. There are 65 direct prophecies regarding the coming of Jesus, Jesus coming into the world. Specifically, how he's going to arrive, where he's going to be born, Bethlehem, how he's going to be born of a virgin. This is what's going to happen. All the 65 direct uh, prophecies. 
there's 450 more mentions of the Messiah. So just general things about the Messiah, about over 450, that's over 500 quotes about the Messiah that's coming into the world and the people of Israel, they're, they're hearing this. From the time that Isaiah prophesied the birth of Jesus and how he was going to be born, you have a 700-year gap between the time that he prophesied that and the time that Jesus actually comes into the world. 700 years. But some people will say that the clock of waiting for the Messiah doesn't start there. Some people will say that it actually starts with something called the Proto-Evangelium. The Proto-Evangelium is called the first Proto-Evangelium mentioned the gospel. The gospel, Uangalian, that's the Greek version of, it's the first mention of the gospel, and for all my scholars in here, what is, where would I find that at? Genesis 3. Genesis 3, that's right. Let's read that together. <laughs> all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, you have God. This is not something where it says, that, oh, I need to figure out what to do here. God had a plan ever since the beginning of time to send Jesus to the world Christmas was celebrated and Christmas was, was talked about and described and prophesied at the beginning of time. All right, so let's go over to that text, Genesis 3.15. It says that I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking and God's pronouncing curses and judgment over Satan through the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The offspring, we have to notice here that the offspring he's talking about is singular. The offspring that will be coming through the seed of woman is a singular, a person. Who is the seed that, they're, that you're talking about? He says, that, listen, you're going to be able, this, this, this serpent, the Satan and satanic forces, you're going to be able to bruise his heel. But you're not going to be able to destroy him. He's going to crush your head. I think they're describing right now actually what happens at the cross, which we're going to be talking about around, around uh, Easter more specifically. Okay. So what do you have here? You have 700 years between the time of Isaiah and Jesus coming to the world. You have about uh, 4,000 years in between the time of this is prophesied and Jesus coming into the world. Do we see uh, any issues here? There's a time gap. What's happening within the gap? And as a matter of fact, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. You have 400 years between the time of Malachi and the time Jesus comes into the world, the time that John the Baptist comes into the world. 400 years of silence. They call that the intertestamental period. That time in between is what we're talking about this morning. The time in between is what we're talking about when we talk about longing. It's the stuff that we're longing for. It's the promises of God that we're talking about. And I believe that it's during that time where unbelief and belief is decided by the person that's going between that in-between period. It's during that time where we say that, Lord, I, I believe. And then we sometimes say that, Lord, I don't believe. Why? Because of this time. Now, I'm not saying this everyone's uh, temptation, but sometimes the, t the temptation is because you're in this gap and there's time lapse and there's this thing in between that we begin to play with our minds and, and, and doubt begins to come in and play with our minds and we begin to make decisions as to whether or not God is trustworthy during the in-between. God is trustworthy during the in-between. I want to declare that this morning to us. He's trustworthy in the in-between, and he's trustworthy in our intertestamental period. We call the intertestamental period the time between the Old Testament, the last book, and the first book of the Old Testament, or John the Baptist coming into place. It's called Advent. Their Advent lasted 
with a period of silence as to God, are you still there, God? Are you are you speaking? The last prophet has spoken. What's going on? There's a lot of things that happened during that period. Their advent was waiting for this person in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. They're waiting for this Jesus to come. Now, for the Jewish person, let's get into the mind here. For the Jewish person, this has all type of, types of implications. It's not like the modern world now, where we believe that this only has spiritual implications for Sunday mornings. No, this, every single thing, every element of life, their political life, it had implications for that. It had implications for the life of the slave. It had implications for the life of, of any type of servant from the high to the low. It had implications for everyone because the Messiah was going to come in and radically transform everything. You see, when we say political, they said that they envisioned this, this kingdom that's going to come in and literally be the kingdom that they are a part of, not the earthly, shakable kingdoms of the world. They're, they're, they're looking and longing for God's kingdom to come in. That's their advent. We have an advent as well. Our advent is called the second advent. Jesus Christ came, and we have our longings as well in our longings. Now listen to this. Our longings is characterized by the how long, O Lord, in our life. How long, O Lord? How long will we wait? How long will we have to struggle with this thing and wait for this thing? And we really do have struggles, amen? We are beings of struggle. That's a part of what makes the human up, that we are beings of desire, excuse me, desire and longing. How long, O Lord? The question that I want to ask you this morning is, what are you longing for? In your life right now, what are the longings right now that you're struggling with right now? What are the longings that we don't know about? What are those longings? Because the longings are deeply beset in the heart. Those are the things that we're longing for. And we find that, that as we talk about often, that people in the Bible, they had deep longings in their life. I love reading the psalmist. The psalmist has deep longings in their life, and they want to make it real, and they want to make it raw to you and say that, listen, we're not so spiritual that we don't realize the, 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 the vacuums in our life. We're not so spiritual that we can't see and realize those parts in our life that feels like big gaps that we're saying that, Lord, I need you to do something. I need you to fill this thing up because if you don't do it, Lord, I feel like I'm going to waste away. What are the longings in your life? We see this in Psalm 13, one of the best examples that we have of biblical longing and expressions of longing. David says this. David often finds himself in the middle of, man, I just cannot rest in this kingdom. There are people that are not buying into my administration. They don't believe that I'm deserving of this place that I have come to on the throne of God, and everybody prefers this person over here, and they don't want to come to me or serve me or see me as king. And over and over again, David lays his heart out in Scripture, and David is going to cry out, and the song of choir master, he's going to say that, listen, we're going to sing this together as a people. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me, David asked? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. That's God's covenantal love. He's saying that, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting in your covenantal, your promises for me. 
He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How do you have such a paradox like that? How do you have such a paradox where this man within his own soul can say that I have deep longings, but Lord, I'm turning to you because I believe that only you can satisfy. David understood that he was overbuilt for this world. David understood that there's not a bottle, there's not drugs, there's, there's not a person, there's not a woman, there's nothing, there's no one that can fill that deep longing. Even, I love my mama, but my mama can't do it. I love my wife, but my wife cannot do it. My children cannot do it. The things that we long for and that we think that we that will fill that void, it cannot do it. Amen. That job, nothing will do it. David says that, Lord, I have these deep longings. How long will you keep me in this place? But while I'm in the in-between time, while I'm in the intertestamental period of life, while I'm waiting for you to do something to change this around, Lord, while this is happening in my life, I'm going to say, I'm going to look and say that, Lord, I trust your steadfast love for me. I trust your covenantal love for me, and my heart rejoice in your salvation, Lord. You have not forgotten me in this place. So much so much encouragement we can do. He says, I will sing to the Lord. That's the beauty of us coming together on Sundays where we can sing to the Lord no matter what we're experiencing in life at the time that we can sing. Christian or, Christians, we are a singing people. We sing and we, we celebrate what Lord, the Lord has done despite the paradox of difficulty in life and great desire. We can celebrate that in God. Paul describes our desire and our longing you have their advent, waiting for the Christ. We're not waiting for the Christ in the same way they were. They were waiting for the Christ to come into the world. We have a lot more revelation than they do. Progressively, God reveals himself. Our advent now is waiting for the second return of, of Christ, where he fully establishes his kingdom, where the things that you are dealing with in life, where I deal with, if I was honest with you this morning, the things that I deal with, I'm like, Lord, would you satisfy the longing in my heart to deal with all of the horrible things that we got to deal with, the stuff that you know that you cannot change on your own. A day where you can say that, Lord, I can walk the, a, a city and I can celebrate in a city that fully embraces me and walk and celebrate in a city where I don't have to look in dark corners and see that all oh, this horrible thing is happening over here and, and there's things happening over there and I know that I can't change it. Brokenness in our systems, brokenness in our government, brokenness in us. There's a time that we're longing for where Jesus would make all of that right and all of that. That's part of our Christmas Hope, Jesus coming into the world and also Jesus coming back into the world. Yes. Paul talks about this in Romans 8.22. Paul describes this advent, this second advent that all of us experience. Listen to this. It's not going to be up here, but listen to this. Paul says that, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is a man who experienced great suffering in life. He says that it's not going to compare to the glory that's going to be revealed to us in the, in the future. We, we have this, this great hope that God has given to us. But for creation, he says in verse 19 of chapter 8, for the creation waits with eager longing for the rebuilding of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Excuse me, uh, subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Watch this in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What a beautiful articulation. What is he talking about there, Pastor? Paul is saying that that's, that describes to a T our deepest longings even now. And we're not alone in, those, in these longings. It's not just humans longing. It says that the earth, the world, the earth is longing as well. It says that it's longing through these things that we describe as groaning. It says that you can sit and we experience this groaning in the world as the, as the world and as the earth and as all things natural that God created. He, they're, they're waiting for the glory of, of, of us to be revealed. They're waiting for that final day as well. How is that possible? That trees are groaning? That the earth senses that things are off in the world. We don't have to argue with anyone conservative and, and liberal about is there something wrong with the earth. Maybe there's a political agenda here or there. But what we do know for sure is that there's something is broken about the earth. They're groaning because sin has entered into the world. We know that for a fact. We don't have to politicize that. We don't have to talk. We don't have to get in debates. But we know that for a fact. And they eagerly await for the coming of Jesus which it will be the revelation of our glory in the Lord. What about the how longs of your life? There's a couple of categories that I see that's, that happens often in our life. Some of us, if you were like me and Desiree, it took us seven years before we could have children. Seven long years. Some of us, and some people that will be hearing this message on the airwaves as well, Maybe waiting for children. Lord, when will I be able to have children? Lord, I long for children. And there is nothing that could satisfy the deep longing except God himself and believing that the Lord was at work and the Lord knew. Not everybody's story ends the same way that Desiree's and, our, and mine uh, ended. Ours ended with children. There's still some that right now are waiting for children. We believe that during that period that maybe the Lord is actually calling us to adopt. And the Lord may be still calling us to adopt. But when we were actually getting ready to sign up and getting ready for everything, that's when we found out that we were pregnant. We found out that the term that we call was, was called delayed fertility, not infertility. And somebody needs to hear that, that if you're going through this phase that doctors call infertility, it may simply be delayed fertility. And the Lord may have something in store for you, whether it's seven, ten years later. But there's a beautiful invitation there that maybe the Lord is also calling you to this work of adoption, as we just saw in Romans 8. There's a beautiful thing, and many children, and we, we look forward to the time where we can adopt, but maybe that is it. But, but maybe the longing has to do with children. Maybe some of us are looking for love. Some of us are looking for the mate that's going to complete us. We, we, we remember when the Genesis says that when he made man, um, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. <laughs> we, we tend to make a mess of things. I'm glad. I'm still, I live a lot longer because of Desiree. Every day, Desiree said, did you take your medicine? I'll take your medicine. Don't be looking at me weird now. I, high blood pressure. <laughs> Desiree, like, James, did you take your medicine? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take it. No, you need to take it right now. I'm going to take it, take it right now. I don't like taking, taking pills. But, but some of us may be looking for love. That longing is a real thing. Some of us, it's employment. We're looking for 
are, are to be able to just fulfill our purposes and feel useful to the level that we think that we can actually get the job done. Maybe we're looking for that promotion and we feel like it's, we're being passed over or, we're, or the job that we're looking for has not come to us just yet. We're in the Bay right now. It's expensive to live in the Bay. And, and it's like, Lord, I, I'm looking for a particular type of job and, and I'm not finding it right now. That's a longing in life. Some of us, it has to do with issues in our body. I went to the hospital. Uh, I won't tell you I went, but uh, it ain't been too recent. But uh, uh, nobody overly, overly concerned for me. But I went to the hospital. While I was in the hospital, I heard this person crying out. Um, and they were saying, Lord, please, please take it away. Make it stop. They were right next door, right next door. That's a longing of the body. Lord, would you stop this pain in my body? I stopped and I went to them. I prayed for them. It causes me great sadness. But these are the longings that we deal with in this life. And we have to name it. We have to name it and not be afraid to name it as if God is afraid to, to look at it as well. God, and we're going to see here in a second, that God actually looks at all those things. So as we talk about, we recognize that there's a reality of longing in our life. Let's look at what it means to learn how to wait in our longing. Waiting is the response to longing. You see that? You're going to long. We're going to have longings in our life, but waiting is the response to it because there's a way in which we can do longing where we don't wait. We're constantly impatient and angry with God, and there's no waiting. Waiting is the response during longing. One, here are some practical practical things I want to leave with us this morning. One, God spills ink over these topics because God's heart spills over these topics. When you read the word of God and you see this great longing and you see all these things happening in life as God's, you, you can see that it's coming from the word of God. God is having it written and inspiring it to be written for our encouragement. So as we're reading it, you can sense and you can see that it's God's heart as well. When Paul, when, when David says that, how long, O oh Lord, will I have to wait for this? How long, O oh Lord? You have a reality you said that, that, that God cares about this, which is why I'm saying it to him. New Testament tells us that cast all of your cares upon him for he cares. God once said, and, in, and we talked about this even last week, Hebrews chapter 4, that we have a great high priest who is able to empathize with us and that we should draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy or that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Come near. It doesn't always affect the timeline. God is in control. He's holding the tension. I can just see my children. Daddy, 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 uh, uh, is this going to happen? Are you going to do this? Is this going to happen? Are you going to do this? I got to deal with this every single day with these kids. <laughs> and I don't answer them every single time they ask me. If I do, I will go crazy. God is an internal being. He won't go crazy. But he's also not interested in, uh, in also giving us these signs over and over again that's going to help to satisfy the, the question. The same answer. It's the same answer he gives. The Bible tells us that miracles, you know what, who miracles were for primarily? Unbelievers. Jesus says that miracles, when he was doing all of these signs and wonders, it wasn't for those that believed. 
It was for those that did not believe. God is not going to continue to always to do miracles for us to show us the same answer. We're called to trust God, but his heart spills over it. Two, we have to redefine time. We got to redefine time, y'all. All right? Uh, I don't like standing in lines. You don't like standing in lines. I saw, I heard a song uh, last year. Uh, somebody said, um, some uh, little girl, she was singing. Uh, what would she say? I, I, I don't have time. I don't wait in line. I don't have time. <laughs> I'm like, excuse you? Excuse me. We have to redefine time. It's doing the time. If longing is, is desire stretched over time, then we have to def- redefine the significance of time because we begin to make judgments of God and put God on the stand based on that time. How dare we? And I say that as a pastor. And I say that to myself. Right? What does Peter say about this? He says, the Lord is actually not slow to fulfill his promises. Second Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count as slowness. Peter recognized that there are some people that look at God's promises and say that, yo, God is slow to fulfill those promises. And Peter said that, no, he is not. What you count as slowness is not God's time. What you count as a, as, as, a, as a thousand years, God counts as a day. And what you count as a day, God counts as a thousand years. Time is not the same to a God that created time and stands outside of time. It's not the, the same thing. We got to get on God's calendar and check God's Google, uh, Google date, right? And we don't always know it, but, but, but we have to say that, Lord, I'm going to trust that whatever you got going on, that you are big enough and sovereign enough, good enough, smart enough to work this thing out in your own timing. Lord, help to settle my soul as I'm dealing with this. 2 Peter 3, 8, one verse right before that tells us that, that listen, a way that you can cultivate time, time is by helping ourselves to define time as God defines time often. It says that the ancient of days measures time by millennia. One millennia go by, two millennia go by. That goes by, that's a slow time for us, but for God, he says that one millennia, two millennia, that's like three, three seconds. Two, one, two, three, one Mississippi, however, you, however they count these days. <laughs> one millennia, two millennia, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. It's not a long time to God. It's not. And God is allowing things to work out, and everything has to work out the way it works out. If God destroyed things in the beginning, saying, that, oh, man, he messed up, and God never said, uh-oh, God knew when he created. But the trajectory was already set, and God created it knowing that this would happen. If God does not allow everything to happen the way it happens, then I would not have been here to experience the grace of God. God is allowing the story to unfold that we may come into history, that we may come into existence. God is allowing the timeline to come out. This is why it's God's grace that he doesn't destroy it. Some people ask that, well, if God knew, then why did he destroy it? Well, that means he destroys you. Because you exist in his mind. You exist in the future. We're getting really philosophical right now. (laughs) We'll talk about this later. (laughs) Three. Grown as often as you need to. Grown as often as you need to. The word says that the world creation groans for God, groans for God to to finish that timeline. It's okay to long. It's not wrong. Scripture just tells us that there's there's a way in which sin can corrupt desire. 
So we're not talking about the desires that are corrupted by sin, but those, those the, 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 the fulfillments that we long for that God placed there and that those fulfillments are, those, those desires are speaking to something deeper within us. It's okay to long and it's okay to weep about it. It's okay to get into your prayer closet and say that, Lord, I'm praying to you. I'm crying out to you. Would you bring this thing to pass? Or, Lord, would you settle my heart and would you fulfill me in the only ways that you can? Grown as often as you need to. Find somebody to do it with. Ask somebody, hey, I need to talk with you, friend. I need to bear my thoughts and bear my soul before you. Four, wait patiently. Wait patiently. Waiting is the proper response to longing. We wait for the Lord to show up and to show out, as we used to say. Lastly here, let me say this. I think that we see something important here regarding longing. Longing, we may be tempted to believe that longing somehow, that longing somehow communicates that God does not love us or God does not care. In our deepest midnight hour, we're tempted to believe that. Longing actually does not communicate that. Longing is actually necessary for love. Longing is necessary for the communication of love, and love is the response to the longing. Now think about that. I get to express the fullness of my love to my wife because she has desires that I can help to satisfy. When she is lonely, I can stand with her in the gap. When she is weeping and she's broken, I can stand with her in the gap. I can, I can say that, listen, I, as your husband, I can respond to the longing. And that's the way that I get to tangibly express my love to my wife because I have longings. We all have longings. And there are ways that God holds those longings and he holds it and he takes care of it and it's precious to him. And as an expression of his love, he responds to our longing with his love. It is essential for relationship. It is not the absence of love. It is the presence of love. Because if God did not care, then he would not want to respond to it for one. And it would not be such a huge part and a significant part of our faith. The Jews waited, and we wait. Y'all can come on up. And we're reminded of how Jesus satisfies our deepest longing. Our deepest longing can only be satisfied by that which is outside of this world because we were overbuilt for this world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not die but have everlasting life. While we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross, by spilling his blood. We're reminded of this every time we meet, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and gave thanks. He broke it and said that this is my body, broken for you. Likewise, Jesus took the cup, said that this is the cup, the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. 
So as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We have gluten-free options right here. I'm going to offer two things here. One, let me say this. If you're not a Christian in this place, we ask that you abstain from this meal. As this meal is a declaration of belief. If you are not a Christian, we want to offer you instead our fellowship and we want to talk to you more about how God can satisfy the deepest longings of your life. But if you are going through a period right now of difficulty, I want to offer you prayer as you're going through the, uh, and receiving and something on the mercies of God that he's 